This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the brings it back! I haven't, I haven't got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Check me glasses before I say welcome, House of Champions. Use your friends dropping your comments and questions in that chat. And make sure you hammer the like and subscribe buttons as we review the action from today's El Clasico. It was Real Madrid against Barcelona first leg. In the House of Champions today, we do have Nigel Rio Coker and Jonathan Johnson. Boys, how you doing? Good, thank you. Good. JJ, are you awake after that? That, that seemed to have disappointed you just a little bit there. You don't have that usual smile on your face. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, it is uh, keeping me up past my bedtime. And uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, it's probably not chock full of the kind of talking points that I'd expect normally from a Classico, but we'll try and make do with that. I know that Nigel Riococo was delighted, and I assume that's because he was hitting the cognac early. Listen, I call it El Classico, but really it's a cup match. Like, it's a different feeling. There's a different energy behind it. Did, did you tell that to the Did you tell that to the Marseille fans that when they beat PSG a couple of weeks ago in the Coupe de France that it was only the French Cup and it wasn't then, it wasn't the classic? Wait, a Jonathan, that's different because everyone knows PSG wins everything in the Paris, all right, in France and everything, right? PSG win everything, so for Marseille beating them, it's a different feeling. It's wow, it's a, a new factor. It's like uh, losing your virginity for the first time for them. But it's like Birmingham you... City beating Villa. You on your watch. Anyway, let's get back to the game. Thank you very much, boys. As always, great to see you in the House of Champions. To everybody out there, thank you so much for joining. Jump into conversations as much as you possibly can. Let us know what you thought about this game. Did you agree with JJ? It was a bit of a snooze fest. What do you think with Nigel? You know, listen, there was there was something to watch there. It was actually a decent game. Uh, let's get into the juicy details. Militao on goal, 26 minutes into the game. Good work from Kessier. Poor defending, by the way, from Rudiger along that back line that allowed Militao to score that own goal. Barcelona get the 1-0 lead. Um, this is going to be one of many El Clasico games we can look forward to over the next 35 days. And um, I just want to ask you, Nigel Rio Coker, what was it? Did Barcelona defend well or were Real Madrid pretty poor offensively? 
I think Real Madrid were poor offensively in the sense of the creative aspect, but you've got to give credit to Barcelona and how they defended. And the only reason why I say that is because to keep this Real Madrid side, it is a lot of hard work. It's grit. It's showing the other side of the beautiful game. Yes, we want to see attacking football. Yes, we want to see goals galore, but you've got to give credit. To be able to be a team coached to keep world-class talent at bay for a large portion of the game, you've got to give them credit. It's part of the game. At the end of the day, Barcelona are going to come back in. Well, Barcelona are going to be seen as the winners, which they were today, because they defended well. And when you, when I say that, Ian, people have to take a step back and really look at that game. Real Madrid are full of top-class players. When they pass and move that ball, they do it for a reason and a purpose. There's such an extra depth of quality in this Real Madrid side that you don't see in other teams around the world. There's so many times you watch them when they had those long periods of possession they got the ball wide. For other clubs and other places, you'll see people just put crosses into the box. But when Real Madrid pass and move that ball, they move it with such a high level of football intelligence and quality behind every pass, every movement, and there's a purpose behind it. And the way for me that Barcelona defended, I think you've got to give them credit. I didn't think it was that much of a bad, bad game. I just think, obviously, if Barcelona showed a bit more aggression to want to attack, to want to score goals, then people would have been a lot more happy and it maybe would open more gaps. But overall, you've got to give them credit. And let's be real, our producer, Dez, was an Atletico Madrid fan. They weren't that great to watch for the entire period of time when they were successful. They were bully boys. They were dark arts football. They were Simeone and 11 on the pitch. Barcelona showed a bit of that today. And you've got to give them credit for how they defended. I, th I think for me, if you're Barcelona, you've got to be happy with that because you know they can play football. There's no denying that. I mean, I don't totally disagree with Nigel. Uh, you know, I do think it was a disciplined defensive display and that's not something that we could necessarily have associated with Barca over the last couple of years. But equally, I'm going to throw a really interesting stat at you guys now. Can you guess off the top of your head when the last time that Real were in a Copa del Rey final was? Yes. It was 10 years ago away uh, against Atletico Madrid and they lost. Uh, no, sorry. It was uh, nine years ago when they beat Barca, uh, even in 2013-14. Uh, so they've kind of become like not even necessarily a cup team in this uh, competition, which I find kind of interesting given how, you know, how they're European giants. Uh, you know, they seem to save all of their best cup form for the Champions League kind of now feels like when they play these games, they're almost like the underdog. It's, it's quite strange when you're watching it. I mean, yes, you know, Nigel's completely correct. You know, Barca did put in a, a very disciplined defensive performance. Uh, you know, we're, we're very resolute. Let's not forget that this is going to be over two legs as well. But equally at the same time, you know, Real Madrid are not necessarily as dominant in this kind of competition as you'd maybe expect them to be given the trophies they've won in their history. I think for me, JJ and Ian as well, what we've got to understand is this. It's Barcelona, Real Madrid. Wherever they meet, whether it's league or cup, there's an expectancy where people think it's going to be fireworks every time. And like JJ pointed out, this is a cup game. I personally feel the mentality of players is different. It, it, it's, it's not right. I'm not saying it's right, but the mentality is different. Like you said, Real Madrid haven't been in the finals since nine years ago. Their priority is always going to be Champions League. And I guarantee it's going to be a different approach and a different how would I say, drive and desire when they meet in the league domestically. And I just think it's us that get super excited because it's Barcelona, Real Madrid. But we've got to put it in perspective, it's two legs of a cup game. So we're not going to see the same intensity and the same desire as you would see 
in a league El Clasico game because even the fans in the stadium will be a lot more energized and it'll be a lot more intense atmosphere. It wasn't really that intense for me from the fans' perspective. You, you can normally hear it even through the TV and everything in today's clash. Nigel, when was the last time you did watch an El Clasico game that it did have that explosiveness, that excitement that you were looking forward to, one that you couldn't take your eyes off? I'll probably say the last El Clasico wasn't bad as well. I thought that there was intense. It was the intense. Supercopa? Not the Supercopa. The no, last one, one in the league. La Liga, 3-1. The league, yeah. That one there when um, Real Madrid won. I think that one was. And you could tell the difference in the fans and, and, and the atmosphere and how the fans were buying into the game, that that was a good game. And I, and I think that's what it is because it's us. We're so used to seeing Barcelona, Real Madrid. There's a, there's a different level to it. Yeah. I think, to be honest with you, I the reason why I asked that is because I was watching that game waiting for this explosiveness, this fireworks, and I recognize it is the first leg of Copa del Rey. And as JJ rightfully pointed out, it was 2014 since the last time Real Madrid had been in Copa del Rey final. It's not necessarily a tournament that they care too much about. And I'm not even sure that maybe Barcelona care too much about it outside of the fact that they're out of European competition now. Obviously, they've got financial disruption going on. There's a lot of noise off the field with Barcelona that any trophy will do to help maybe settle their fans. But this was a complete snooze fest for me. It was a boring game to watch. I do agree with you. I thought the tactical approach from Barcelona defensively, when they didn't have the ball, was pretty much every man buying the ball. It was very difficult for Real Madrid to break them down. I think we've been in that position ourselves where you're playing against a defensive-minded team. It's very difficult to break that down. But this is a level where I see it as the extreme level, the next level, the elite level, where you would expect the Real Madrid to say, at home in front of your own supporters, and Real Madrid out there in the comments, jump in and let me know what you thought about your own team's performance. I was massively disappointed by the attitude from certain players, the aggression from certain players, the desire from certain players at Real Madrid, failing to just want to break down that Barcelona defense. Maybe because they know they've got the second leg, Maybe because they know they've got that comfort of we got another chance here. But I was desperately disappointed. JJ, am I far away from that? No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I think as well, something else that that was quite interesting to me was Barca were dealt a big, big blow coming into this game, losing Lewandowski. And they're not just losing Lewandowski for this game. They're losing him for the next couple of weeks. I feel and I felt at the time when we discussed it, that, you know, all the big moves being made when we were wondering where Barca were getting all of this money from suddenly you don't have Lewandowski as the focal point in the attack in that team. And you see Barca's limitations. I mean, Nigel's right, uh, you know, when he's talking about the defense and how di how disciplined it was. Yes, but they didn't really have any other choice. Uh, you know, what are, what are the midfield going to do? They're going to pass the ball around and, and, and try to look for essentially nobody because there's no one there in the attack to hold the ball up. Lewandowski plays such an important role for this Barca side. And you just wonder sort of where they might be if they didn't have him at all, not just for the goals that he he scores, but how he brings some of the other players into the play because you didn't really see that that often, uh, you know, in attack. I mean, yes, we've talked about how Real Madrid's attack was was neutralized and they were able to, to boast the likes of Karim Benzema up top. But, uh, you know, for Barca, you know, you do feel like... You know, without Lewandowski there, there is, you know, there are limitations to this Barca side. And you mentioned it earlier, uh, you know, sort of um, talking about sort of the financial situation, all the talking points leading up to the games, you know, essentially everything boiling down to, to money. Barca have bet big, uh, you know, on a lot of these players. And it seems to me that without Lewandowski, who's the key piece in all of this, 
it doesn't all quite work. I mean, okay, the defense, yeah, it's more solid than it was before, but that's not going to win the games that get them these trophies. And, you know, if we're saying, you know, this is only the, the Copa del Rey, uh, you know, there's a lot riding on uh, Lewandowski's ability to get back fit uh, in terms of the La Liga title race. JJ, you made a fantastic point. And I agree with you. Without Lewandowski, Barca are definitely a different team. You know, that focal point, that outlet, especially even when you defend deep like that, you still need an outlet. You need a target man that can bring the team higher up and bring the play higher up. I'm going to say something, one more thing as well in this. I look at this performance for Barcelona as a must win because of morale and confidence. You look at the recent run of result, and especially when you're playing your biggest rivals, that's why I look at that as well as just the games. They didn't care how they got the job done. They got the job done. Them beating Real Madrid in their own backyard is going to be a big confidence booster for that dressing room because of the recent run of results that they had as well. I think that plays a part as well. That's something that we've got to take onto account as well. Yeah, listen, producer Des jumping in, obviously, with the defensive statistics here about Barcelona, mentioning that there's only eight goals in 23 league games conceded for Barcelona. And Xavi deserves more credit for fixing that defence. And in many ways, Nigel, you can say that defence does win new championships and it does win new titles. I mean, playing in some great defensive sides, and we've also witnessed over the years, great elite sides have that defensive structure that is very difficult to break down. But the offensive side of the game today from both sides was pretty much lacking. If I'm not mistaken, Barcelona had 92 passes only in the opposition half today and uh, not many shots on target and managed to still win this game somehow. And realistically, we have to give Xavi a lot more credit for what he is doing with all the BS that's happening off the field with Barcelona, with all the noise, the unhappiness, the the worry about what players are going to be leaving Barcelona, the fact that he's still managing to win games like this is absolutely sensational. Nice, real quickly, I've got a quick stat for you before I let you answer that one. The team that scored first in El Clasico has won 14 of the last 16 of them. And I think maybe that was part of the game plan from Xavi again. Get that first goal. Let's defend, see if we can get that win. 100%. And it, do you know what? It's funny though, because we're all football fans and people in the, in the comment sections. I love it because everyone supports different teams. When your team plays absolute cack and you win a game, all you talk about is we won. And that's the reality of it. We're all going to talk about the winner. We're not going to come back months down the line and look at this game and say, oh, it was specifically this game that done this and that. No, we always get like this only when performances go bad. But half the time, if you're winning playing bad, most football fans don't really say much. And I think for me, again, you've got to give credit when credit's due. My thing from a, a real detailed analysis of it is it's hard to defend like that against top-class players. Real Madrid are not a rocket science of a team. They go out there and they have the best of the best and they play and they, the way they pass and move that ball with movements in that final third, the passes that they choose, it's all done for a reason and a purpose of high level football intelligence and it is not easy to defend against that and reality of it is JJ and Ian you know this championships are built off what clean sheets and defensive solidarity first then the rest comes into play and that's what Xavi's doing at Barcelona I mean it's interesting that Nigel says that because you wouldn't guess sort of with the discussion that we're having that Barca are actually second to Real Madrid in terms of goals scored in La Liga. Real have scored two more goals than Barca have so far, but it, because Barca's defense is so much tighter, you could argue that that's contributed towards that seven-point gap between the two of them at the moment. But equally, you know, I'd argue that's what makes Lewandowski so important because when you are sort of 
you know, nailing down that defensive aspect of the game, the goals that you score, because sometimes there'll be games where you need to eke out a 1-0 win or a 1-1 draw. I mean, look at that, uh, you know, that loss to Almeria uh, recently. You know, the first time I think Barcelona have ever lost to Almeria in uh, La Liga. You know, that's the kind of game where Lewandowski can maybe even just save you a point, uh, you know, with a goal. And I think, you know, Barca still, despite the fact that the defense has improved, and you you can't deny that when you look at the numbers, uh, you know, there's a 10-goal differential between Barca and Real Madrid. So obviously it is impressive work from Xavi, something that you wouldn't necessarily associate with him given, you know, the sort of style of play that he had, uh, you know, in his playing days. Uh, you know, always looking, uh, you know, to to set up the attacks rather than sort of focus on what was going on behind him. But equally, uh, you know, I think at some point, you know, for Barca to sort of win the kind of or win at the level that their fans expect of them and that this investment into the team, uh, you know, dictates that they must do. You know, I think they're going to have to, you know, find other ways to score goals other than just relying on Robert Lewandowski because as brilliant as Lewandowski is, He's not getting any younger and, you know, you never know with this next injury, you know, whether it might be something that, you know, continues to crop up throughout his career. Because for me, it feels like when we talk about Barca as a whole with and without him, it's two completely different sides, regardless of how tight that defense is. Uh, we got some great comments coming in real quickly before we do go to break. Serge jumping in and saying, guys, this for Barcelona was a must-win game. That comes in from Serge. Oscar jumping in. He says, Real Madrid supporter here. Those uh, producers have the numbers of when the last time Real Madrid won with Kroos and Modric on the pitch at the same time. It is shameful. What a great point to mention right there. We also have Steve jumping in talking about Kroos and Modric. Both can't start. They're not the same players they used to be. It's an interesting comment coming in right there. Shuban at the top of the show. Visca Barça, vamos. He's excited. Serge jumping in once again. The Clásico is always awesome to watch. This one and his next comment. Sleep, 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 sleep. He's got all of his edge right there. Didn't enjoy this game as much. And the final comment I'll leave you with, Nigel Real Coker, is Arrujo is Vinny, Vinny's daddy. Vinny Jr.'s daddy. Vinny just didn't turn up today. Just didn't turn up. Comment? Uh, I'll talk, he didn't listen, turn it's up. A cup game. It's he didn't a cup turn up. Game, he's he's on, arguing. He's game. fighting. He's disagreeing. Yes, listen, he is. He, there, there was there was listen. There was a lot of handbag moments in that game. A lot of pushing and shoving and fake gangster stuff. Keyboard gangsters or whatever it is. Don't but, you guys have that useless word for it in American? Testy what? or whatever it's called, or chippy or something like that. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm British, but anyway. Um, yeah, he didn't turn up, but for me, and like you said, come on, it, it, it's it's the cup. It really is the cup. It, you're going to see a different animal when it comes to league and Champions League. We've seen it before. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. Everybody will be right back. More to come from El Clasico, just a little bit, and then we'll touch upon the rest of Europe to look forward to this weekend. Exciting games. How's the Champions? We'll be right back right after. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Yes, don't miss a second of the action from the greatest club competition on earth. That is the Champions League. Follow the biggest stars from the world of soccer like Lionel Messi, Karim Benzema, Victor Osserman and Erling Haaland as they try to clinch the most prestigious prize in the game. All of your soccer needs from the Champions League to Europa League to Serie A all the way to NWSL and so much more are available to you on Paramount+. Plus. You can try one month for free by using the code ADVANCE. Real quickly, guys, before we do get back, we are watching House of Champions and you are watching House of Champions. Um, I want to just really touch upon the fact that Steve made in the comment section just a moment ago about Kroos and Modric. Nigel, I'll get your point in just a moment, but JJ, I'm coming to you first. Are we starting to see the end of their careers? Should Real Madrid start to move on? We see Camavinga, we see Chomeni sitting on the bench, we see a lot of youngsters waiting for an opportunity. Should Real Madrid move on from these two oldies? I mean, I think when we're considering sort of the succession planning, I think we can probably feel a bit more confident about Chiumeni than uh, we can about Camavinga at this moment in time. Obviously, we know Camavinga has that potential. I don't think he's quite delivered on it, certainly not, uh, you know, to the same level as Chiumeni and, uh, you know, Nigel and can attest to that. But I think something that's really strange about the Real situation in the midfield, I mean, we know that Modric is probably going to play on for, you know, maybe a year or two more. But Kroos seems to be kind of, up in the air about it. There's been a lot of speculation about it. It's basically like he's decided he's either going to retire at Real Madrid or he's going to stay on and play a little bit longer. To me, that's a bit weird. If you're already even thinking about retirement coming soon, I don't understand why you might be open to playing on for another year. Because if you, at the end of the day, if you don't have that intensity and let's, you know, let's be let's be realistic. Uh, you know, Tony Kroos is a is a serial winner. has has won so much at both club and international level. There's not much left for him to prove, if anything, in the game. But equally, at the same time, if his hunger has gone to the fact that you know he's not been playing for for Germany now at international level for a couple of years, and is you know not necessarily motivated by what's going on at Real Madrid, I think Real Madrid should take that decision for him. Uh, you know don't action any potential contract extension. If he wants to go back to, to Germany, finish his, uh, I, I believe he's a boyhood Werder Bremen fan. Is that it? Something like that. You know, maybe go and, uh, you know, finish his playing days there, something like that. I think that would be a nice touch to, to the end of his career. I, personally, for me, it would be a shame to not see him go back to a Bundesliga side for at least one more season, but, uh, you know, each to their own in their playing career. But if, you know, if it's even on Kroos's mind, to, to potentially retire, then I think that's when Real Madrid should step up, uh, you know, this changing of the guard in midfield because we know that it will happen for uh, for Luka Modric at some point in the next year or two. But, uh, you know, I think for Toni Kroos, if it's, you know, even in his mind, the idea to potentially retire, then that suddenly has to be, uh, you know, made a priority by Real Madrid because that's the kind of thing that could ultimately catch them out. I mean, look at what's happened with Liverpool with the importance of, you know, keeping things fresh in that midfield. Their season has, you know, completely fallen apart. I'm not going to blame it entirely on the midfield. Obviously, there's a lot, uh, you know, for for Jurgen Klopp to answer to uh, in terms of his demands of the players uh, and certain other areas of the team as well. But, uh, you know, when there's one position where you're not quite sure whether you've got the right mix of players, uh, you know, whether you need to make a greater investment, you know, I think 
Klaus has to be much, much clearer with his intentions. And if retirement is even on the horizon for him, then I think that's probably going to be it at the end of the season for him and Real. This is why footballers don't like people in the press. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Jonathan Johnson just putting a big knife in Kroos's career in the back there. Like, ice fishing like you did for two games yeah. in Norway. Hey, you just, you didn't even stab him in the back. You just stabbed him in the front. Say, right, you're done. Up you go. All right. Anyway, for me, I disagree. I think for me, with those players, let's not forget Modric and Kroos. Modric came off the pitch in the Champions League to Liverpool to a standing ovation by the Anfield faithful. And they don't do that a lot for players playing on the opposite side. But he did it his age. I think personally, yes, you can't play them together because it just doesn't work in the modern game with the dynamic of what's needed, the energy, especially being in the injury room of a midfield. But you can play them off with either Kamavinga or Chouameni. You can play one or the other. And I still feel they can offer a lot at that high level, depending on what the game needs, how the game is flowing, that they can still play a part for the next year. But playing them together, you can't do in this modern game. But for balance, for the experience and quality that they have and the development of one of the young players, whether it's Kamavinga or Chuamini, it can still work for another year or two, I personally believe. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I think it's very difficult when you've had such success to break that up and, and just get rid of it, especially with the experience leading down to these youngsters that are around them that are simply getting better and maybe not ready. We see that from some of the comments that are coming in. Matt and Kamavinga had some great moments, but it's nowhere they're ready. It's a fantastic comment to have right there. Um, real quickly, Nigel, who goes through in the second leg? Obviously, it's 1-0 going back to the new camp. Who goes through from that tie? I would say Barcelona. One nil down. Barcelona go through. Yeah, I mean it's difficult to to disagree with that. Obviously, Barca have the advantage. Real's record in this competition isn't great, so yeah, I mean I I think that Barca can make it through. But I, to be honest, I think that Barca have to make it through now as well, especially yeah. after what's happened in Europe. Ian, you said it about the performance as well. You saw it yourself. Like the players just didn't look like they tried an arm or a leg. It was a just another game for them that you can see there's no priority in this cup competition for them. They're not interested in that, in my opinion. I think the statistics don't lie though, Nigel, as JJ yeah. pointed out, it's 2014, 10 years since Real Madrid have been in the final of their own domestic competition. And, and it, uh, clearly, you know, it's, listen, it's a big competition domestically for them, but how much emphasis do you put on it when you've got a Champions League and you're coming off a World Cup and it's a massive schedule that you're looking at? Do they really care? I mean, they've got to this point already and they certainly have put effort to get to the semi-final, um, but today was a bit disappointing. So, so, what, so what, are they, what are they saving themselves for? They're saving Champions themselves League. for the Champions League, basically. Yeah, Champions League. How, how much, how much longer? I mean, going back, going back to that debate about about. Kroos, uh, and Modric, and to be honest, it counts the same for Benzema as well. How many more years can they keep doing that? Mm -hmm. well, mean, they've got players in waiting already. They've got Endrick coming in, obviously. Oh, they've got players in waiting in, in midfield. I mean, Endrick, what, who hasn't scored a goal since like November or something like that? And he was <laughs> he's crying about lad. it he on the bench. He's a young I, know lad. He's a, I know he's a young lad, but I'm, I'm saying it's a lot of pressure to suddenly expect him to come and, you know, step in for, for Karim Benzema when he's what? He's going to be like 17 potentially by the time he joins, uh, by the time he joins Real. That is a lot of pressure to put on a youngster's shoulders. Might not have a chance. I, I just don't think that Barcelona, uh, Real Madrid are a team that you can write off. I, I always give them credit for their uh, recruiting. I'm, 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 I'm not going to write them off at all. I just feel like we've constantly been in this state the last couple of years of trying to guess how much of you know the last of the summer wine is left in that bottle. 
Hold on, and mate. JJ. I mean, you're the wine expert, Nigel. You, should, you, should, yeah. you of all people wine, should know wine, how much is wine left. Wine between you's our thing. Let me just say <laughs> this, though. Ian, is JJ a little bit upset or a little bit in his feelings because Barcelona have done the whole Galactico thing the right way and won things while Paris Saint-Germain have tried to do it and all we're getting out of Paris Saint-Germain is a bit of a soap opera of uh, uh, Neymar and all them lot. You know, just just buy them and just try and win it quickly, but it doesn't quite but, work. But Barcelona, but what, Real Madrid... But what if but what Barcelona won, won with their Barca, Galactico sorry, Real Madrid. I'm talking about Real oh, Madrid. Yeah, no. Madrid well. I mean, the funny oh, thing was that the Real Madrid at the height of their Galacticos didn't win everything they were expected to. So if anything, PSG should have learned from that lesson. No, no, I mean, honestly, you mean, I mean, if you're talking about sort of PSG and Real just for a moment, you, you can't compare the two. One's a footballing institution. The other wants to be a footballing institution, but is unable to at the moment. It's, you know, it, it, it's just a fact. But, uh, you know, no, I don't think there's any sort of animosity towards it. No, I mean, honestly, it's just purely you know out of curiosity really you know how much longer you can continue to bank on the same bunch of very very experienced fantastic players because at some at some point the curtain will fall uh you know on their careers collectively and if it falls at the same time then i think real madrid risk having a very poor season not necessarily this season which admittedly by their high standards isn't great I, i agree jj let's just say this just buy yourself some wine let it age for some years and just watch Real Madrid continue to roll, all right? Because I just saw today one of my favourite players right now in world football is being linked with either Real Madrid or Barcelona. And I know which one I'll go to if I was him. Cuicha Carasquelia. He'd already linked it in. So they know how to do it. Didn't, like, he, didn't he say like his like half his family is for Barca and then he is for Real or something like that? His dad's so going to go that, probably yeah. Real. So they're going to keep doing it. <laughs> You got to leave it open somehow, JJ. You know, I never know what can happen at the end of the day on the transfer market. You might as well say, hey, you know, we've got our hand in both of the pies here. Let's move on from um, talking about El Clasico. Great discussion, though, boys. Really appreciate that there. Um, obviously, some great games coming up this weekend. Real quickly, I want to touch upon what's happening in the Bundesliga on Friday. There's a great game Borussia Dortmund against Leipzig. It's second against fourth in the Bundesliga. Borussia Dortmund uh, equal on points with Bayern Munich at the top of the table. Um, but our Really defensively, I've been hammering them this year, Borussia Dortmund. But they've kept nine clean sheets and they're on this emphatic run right now of winning games, which seems to be very difficult for any team to be able to stop them right now, JJ. But Leipzig themselves are unbeaten in nine away games. Marco Rose going back to Borussia Dortmund. I sense that there's going to be a cracking game on our hands. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's certainly shaping up to be, uh, you know, a really exciting one. Um you know, I think Leipzig, uh, you know, have reinvented themselves a little bit, um, you know, since the the days of Tedesco, where there was a bit of a flash in the pan where it looked like they might be the real deal and then fell away a bit. In fact, to be honest, I don't think it's by chance that they're looking a little bit better under Marco Rosa, who obviously is a local to the area, which I think is something that, that RB Leipzig have lacked a little bit in their project as they've gotten to, you know, to these heady heights, uh, you know, but Dortmund, uh, I think I still think that they will be kicking themselves that they weren't in gear just a little bit earlier when Bayern had that blip because they could potentially be a few points ahead of Bayern in this table if they had, uh, you know, not been unlucky, obviously with the Sebastian Allaire, um, you know, issue where he was, you know, out for the, you know, the first half of the season, but also, yeah. 
just because there were some games where Dortmund could have won, didn't do enough to win, uh, you know, and ultimately, uh, you know, fell short. But it is exciting. Uh, you know, you can't deny that when you look at the Bundesliga table at this moment in time with the teams duking it out up there. Uh, you know, and this is one of the most mouthwatering, uh, you know, encounters. Nigel, you've watched both of them in the Champions League just recently. Obviously, um, Borussia Dortmund having that um, advantage against Chelsea and Leipzig against Manchester City. Still, both Bundesliga teams in with a big chance there. Um, impressing both of these teams for you? Which impresses you most and who you favour this uh, weekend on Friday? My heart tells me Dortmund, to be fair, because they've impressed me so much. And we've had discussions when you and uh, Michael have made fun of me about, have you seen him defensively in this night? I just don't know how they're getting the results, but they're getting the results. To a certain degree, JJ, do we give Bayern Munich credit for letting them come back in to make it more interesting so Ian can have something to talk about? I think we've got to give Bayern credit to say, like, let's let these other guys catch up. Let's make it interesting and fun for people. But um, two teams going at it, and I don't know, my heart just takes to me for more Dortmund. I really do just feel Dortmund are getting the results. Don't ask me how they're doing it, but they're getting results, and they've got the momentum right now. Confidence is there and they only seem to be getting stronger and gaining stronger as the season goes on, in my personal opinion. I think Jude Bellingham, for me, has been a massive influence and a massive player for them all year long. Yes, I'm back in the Brit boy, but he really has performed and he deserves all the praise he gets. And uh, it's been very interesting. And we've got an interesting comment there about how comes uh, Gio hasn't been playing. He just hasn't been good enough. That simple. And injured. We have to give him that. He, he seems to be constantly injured. And I will say this, though. He's been injured from when he started his bloody career. From the start, he's the, always been bloody injured. I agree with you. He's had a lot of injury problems. But since the World Cup, he's come back and he's scored goals. But he's been scoring goals from the bench. And when he got his start, he didn't take that opportunity. And that's why you sit on the bench. When a team is winning games, it's very unlikely that a coach like Aiden Terzic, who does favor the young players, is going to change the team. He's going to rotate too much. He's going to give players an opportunity who are in form and producing for him. And why wouldn't he? Right now, he's chasing a Bundesliga title. So it's fantastic to see. We're going to turn our attention to the Premier League in just a few seconds. Stay with us. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. You're watching House of Champions. Nigel Rio Coker, Jonathan Johnson, and Ian Joy. Let's turn our attention to the Premier League and uh, the games that are coming up this weekend. Looking forward to Liverpool against Manchester United. Um, Nigel, thoughts on this game? Obviously, Manchester United in a great run of form right now. Liverpool got... I mean, I don't even know what to say about Liverpool right now. They got a victory against Wolves. Um, Mo Salah's got a great record against Manchester United in scoring goals. I think there's only one player who scored more goals in a Premier League against Manchester United than him, and that was Alan Shearer. Um, but do you think United can get it done at Anfield? Casemiro. That's what I have to say. I'm sorry. Casemiro. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> the biggest problem in Liverpool right now, one of the biggest problems, is that midfield area. The biggest catalyst that has turned that Manchester United team is that midfield area in Casemiro. And for me, he is the real deal. 
He's won everything, seen it, been there, done it with Real Madrid. Come to Manchester United, proved a lot of people wrong. A lot of older generation players who writ him off without really watching anything outside the Premier League because of the lack of diversity that they have and the knowledge that they have, still living on an island. Casemiro, for me, is the big <laughs> difference maker. I, I really do. You know, I, I think that's where the game is going to be won and lost in that midfield area. Liverpool, it's really hard to tell what Liverpool is going to turn up. But if Man United turn up high pressing with the form that Marcus Rashford is on right now, that Liverpool back four still isn't the same when they're put under pressure. Regardless of who they face, if you get in their face and put them under pressure, mistakes will happen. Mistakes will happen because the confidence isn't fully there yet. I can see Man United getting the win and continuing in the good run of form that they've been in and really sneaking in for that, that title run. I don't know what JJ thinks. <laughs> I don't know just yet about the title run, but I certainly feel like United seem to have more and more of a big game appetite, uh, you know, as the weeks go on. Uh, you know, I think getting that first piece of silverware, you know, don't, no matter how disputed sort of it is in terms of its importance, that's a big step, uh, you know, for Manchester United in this Ten Hag, uh, you know, revolution uh, that's over uh, um, going on at the moment. And, uh, you know, I just I don't feel confidence in backing Liverpool for anything at this moment in time. You know that on any given day, they might be able to turn it around, sort of pull off one of the, the performances that rolls the years back. But do I think that they can, you know, uh, you know, put together a run of those kind of games? I don't, you know. We've been talking about Real Madrid and wondering how long they can keep this going, how long they can keep stringing out these big performances and stuff like the Champions League. I feel like, you know, that's already beyond Liverpool. They can't quite do that anymore. They can do it occasionally. And sure, they might do it against a, a, a not necessarily a bottom feeder in the Premier League, but not a title rival in the Premier League. But, you know, for, for a game of this sort of magnitude, certainly against a, a much improved Manchester United side. And to your point as well, Nigel, you were rightly, uh, you know, waxing lyrical about Casemiro. I think Ericsson as well made a big, big difference in the, in the United midfield as well. Obviously a big miss for them, but still the fact that they're managing to, to maintain that form, keep that winning run going uh, in his absence, uh, you know, I think is uh, is really big and really impressive. And for me, it just feels like United are in the ascendancy at this moment in time, just, you know, all across the board. And for me, I, I you know, I, I quite fancy them for this game. A great point here. And here's a statistic for you. Manchester United's current scoring run is 15 successive Premier League games. It's the longest in the competition and their longest such run of 17 matches between February and October 2020. So they're scoring goals. We know where the goals are coming from, from Marcus Rashford. And certainly uh, this past game was an interesting one from that. He did leave it a little bit late, but they got the job done uh, in the FA Cup. And uh, I'm intrigued to see how they respond. Now, there's a lot of games for Manchester United to deal with. They're in four competitions, Nigel. Um, but what would be considered a real success or is it already happening under Ten Hag? They've won one trophy. They're still in the FA Cup. They've still got Europa League to come for and obviously looking to finish in the top four of the Premier League. So if it ended this way, they had one trophy and they finished in the top four, is that okay? Or do you expect them to win one more trophy this season? Mate, have you seen Manchester United in the past couple of years? Have you seen what that club has become? Mate, if it yeah. finishes like this year, this will be a tremendous success because... I personally will go on record. I did not see this turnaround or any manager in world football being able to turn around this club this quickly. How Eric Ten Hag has turned around this club in such a short space of time. And it's not even just the tactics. You know it yourself. JJ knows it. The players tell a story. 
the way that team has come together and how they perform on the football pitch, even when they don't play well, they're still not getting beat. They're not con- conceding crappy goals and chasing. There's still there's something there. There's an element of stability and great foundation that he has installed in this Manchester United team. And I think if they finish where they are now, like you said, top four, one cup, cup, they'll be happy with that. That is a great building block to go to. Manchester United now to players from outside the Premier League who they used to be able to attract. Manchester United looks like that attractive girl now. Manchester United looks like the attractive girl at the bar that you want to go and talk to, want to go and talk to. Look at JJ laughing, right? The attractive girl in Paris, JJ. That's what Manchester United looks like now because before she'd she'd, 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 be, she'd, be, pa- she'd be pouting though. She'd have a miserable expression on her face. She'd be like challenging you to like up your <laughs> okay, game and searching for you to have your chat. Now Manchester United, she'll be smiling at the bar when you come there because beforehand you'd be going to the the girl in in Real Madrid or in in Madrid or Barcelona compared to Manchester United. (laughs) Quick rapid fire. Let's get through the other game that I was looking forward to talking about. And that was, of course, Chelsea against Leeds United on Saturday. It's 10th against 17th. Leeds beat Southampton last week and then got knocked out of the FA Cup by Fulham. Javi Garcia, is he the right man, JJ, to keep them up and give them a chance? Or do they need to start winning games, especially this one against the Chelsea side that seemed to not be able to win at the moment? I mean, to be honest, I think Chelsea, it's the kind of game that when you're scrapping for points at the wrong end of the table, you know, you want to have because Chelsea, you know, the pressure is on more and more with every game on Graham Potter. Uh, You know, there's still not really that sort of clear identity in, uh, you know, the way that they're playing. I mean, obviously, I'm saying this is a Villa fan uh, level on points with Chelsea. Some fingers crossed that they're going to drop some more points and allow Villa to sneak into the top half of the table. But, uh, you know, for, for Leeds at this moment in time where they are, you know, I don't think beating Chelsea, uh, you know, seems that impossible, uh, you know, for them. Do I think that, that uh, Javi Gracia is the, the the right choice maybe to keep them up? I'm yet to be convinced, uh, if I'm perfectly honest. But, uh, you know, I think if they can get three points, even one point against Chelsea, you know, that's a, that's a step in the right direction. But given the way that Chelsea have looked uh, in recent weeks... Uh, you know, I think that realistically, I think Leeds will be looking at this, hoping that this is one of the games where they can sort of pull the three points out of the hat because, you know, on their day, uh, you know, Leeds can put together, uh, you know, very good performances. And let's be honest, it doesn't take the best performances at this moment in time to beat this Chelsea side because they are vulnerable. They're there for the taking quite often. Yep. Um I was just going to say Chelsea is like a box of chocolate because you never know what you're going to get, which is so true. And I was just demonstrating how teams are picked at Chelsea at the moment. Just names out of a hat because no one knows what you're going to get from Chelsea. But what what type of chocolates, though, uh, do you have where the majority of the box is crap and then just yeah. like a few of them are good? True. So like Revels or something like that? Well, I think Thiago Silva is <laughs> going to be a massive miss for them now anyway. If he's still injured and out injured, that's going to be a big, big miss for them. And like you said, JJ, Leeds as well. Leeds can put in a performance. If Leeds had a striker that can put the ball into the back of the net, they wouldn't be in that situation, personally, in my opinion, because they're not too bad. Midfield-wise, defensively, they're not too bad. They've had good chances in most games they've played, just haven't been clinical enough. Banfield hasn't been the same Banfield from a while ago. For me, with this Chelsea, I just I don't even know what to say about Chelsea anymore because I feel like it's the same thing. Like I still don't see any identity or anything. They've got an abundance of talent, top-class players, but it's just not working. It's not gelling. And I like Graham Potter. I just don't think he realised how much of a big job this was and what was coming his way. And if I'm honest, I'll be honest with you, the next step for Graham Potter should have been an Aston Villa. 
That's the type of club that needed a Graham Potter to come in, bring in more youngsters, develop players and be creeping in for pushing for that fight, for that top four, and then taking the club to another level where they can give him control in what he does with developing young players and stuff. Because that's not something we talk a lot about, Ian. We, we always seem to say about recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. What happened to coaches doing their job and actually coaching and developing players in these training sessions, showing them to understand what they've got? We don't talk about that a lot. We don't give credit to coaches who actually develop a lot of these young players. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great comment right there. And you also touched upon the fact of obviously injured players going into this match. And I think it is important to recognize we had a, an interesting comment right here. It was about uh, Thiago Silva missing seven to eight weeks from Amy Carcaterra. I hope I uh, pronounced your name correctly, Amy, there. Um, but it looks like he's going to be out until the end of April. And that is a big loss for Chelsea. Massive, especially when massive loss. When, when things are not going well for you, you need not only do you need your top players, obviously, but you need the experienced players to really be pushing the team. And, and especially on that training ground, as you talked about, we have been watching video after video and social media clip after social media clip of uninspired young football players going out on that Chelsea training uh, pitch. So I am concerned. Nigel, great point. Nigel, coach, has got a coach. Matt Osman jumping in on that one right there. Uh, Nigel, real quickly, and from you, JJ, also I want a really quick comment on Ivan Tony. Um, Brentford striker has admitted to breaking English Football Association rules relating to betting prior to appearing before a disciplinary panel. Tony has been charged with a total of 262 breaches between February 2017 and January 2021 when he was a player at Scunthorpe, Wigan, Peterborough and Brentford. Nigel, come to you first on this one. Um, obviously, you've been a player yourself. Not sure if you put a wager on or not or you saw players or you had teammates who did so. I can guarantee you I definitely did in the lower leagues. Um, but it's a dangerous game and it looks like Ivan Tony's been caught out here. Gambling has always been a part of football. I, I just don't get I think it's a big shit show. I think it's hypocritical. Oh my God, I can't even say the word. You know what I'm talking about. Hypocritical yep. of, of the footballing <laughs> governing bodies to do this because from when we were young, betting firms have always sponsored football clubs. Betting firms have always been in the programs, match day programs, advertising boards. Betting and football have gone hand on hand like white on rice. So for me, it, it, it's a shit show and it's something that football needs to sort out. I've seen players not bet on games as much, but also gamble in buses coming with brown paper bag money of playing cards, blackjack and all that. Gambling is part of football. And I just feel that it's a difficult case. I feel sorry for Ivan Tony because really and truly, what, what are you supposed to do? You're surrounded by it. And now the FA have to find a way to try and clean up the game or clean up the image of the game and, and help these players because players are human beings. That's the reality. We can't lose that human element of these players. And not all players come from the same background Breaking news to some people who might think all these players come from privileged backgrounds. No, you're only good as the environment you come from and as educated as you can be in the people you surround yourself with. Yeah, interesting comments right there from Nigel. And I love it. You get straight to the point here. But he did come out and obviously ask the FA to conduct a leak inquiry. I was looking forward to seeing uh, a little bit more from him. Um, but certainly... When you're gambling, JJ, when you're a professional athlete, you're always running the risk. You know you're breaking the law here. And as I understand that maybe there was a leak, maybe someone is spreading this news about it. But at the end of the day, you're the one that is messed up here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I don't think that in, in that instance, he sounds more like he's annoyed that he got caught, not necessarily, uh, you know, sorry for, for having done it. Whereas yeah. I think, I mean, I think back to the chat that Nigel and I had uh, on one of these shows a couple of months ago when we first discussed, uh, you know, all of the news coming out 
you know, and, and we talked about sort of whether this was something that was maybe like a one-off or, you know, maybe it was, you know, Tony looking to, to make a bit more money on the good money that he was making at Brentford. But when you list off the clubs that he was playing for, where, you know, these infractions already allegedly took place. Very clearly, this is a, a problem that has been going on for some time now. Obviously, perhaps maybe gets less attention, like a bit further down the, the footballing ladder. But very clearly, there was an issue there with him for, for quite some time now. I'm not putting that on Bre on Brentford, saying that, you know, maybe they should have been more uh, attentive to, to sort of, you know, Tony's personality when they when they brought him in. I'm not I'm not trying to say that, but... You know, I don't think he would have been able to hide it, you know, the entire time that he's played for all of those clubs without people cottoning on. And perhaps it's just that the club, you know, decided to turn a blind eye, not just saying necessarily Brentford, maybe other clubs in his past as well. Uh, and it's only now that it's really come to the surface. So obviously, uh, you know, there is a problem there that has to be tackled. Uh, you know, Nigel is, is absolutely right about that. But, you know, maybe the mistake that could be made, uh, you know, is people thinking that it's just something that affects players, you know, at the at the top, because very clearly, you know, the further down that you go, maybe this is even more commonplace. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I can tell you, and I, I'm sure uh, Nigel can tell you from personal experience, watching players, watching teammates. Um, I mean, I remember being at Tramier Rovers and as a rookie, I, I didn't understand what the slot machines were, you know, the, the slot machines where they would go and put their, their money in, Nigel, and sit in the bookies and put, you know, pound coins into these machines after pound coin, after pound coin. I mean, hundreds of dollars a day just going down the drain in these little machines here. So it wasn't just necessarily betting on soccer games, but real quickly, it was betting, if I'm not mistaken, he could have been betting on himself, right, in some of these games. And if he wasn't betting on himself, it has happened in previous occasions where other people have betted on themselves. I think, was it Joey Barton previously who did that, where he, yeah, he got, got caught yeah. and he was betting on games that he actually played in? Played in, yeah. It's it, Again, it, it, it depends on what get, comes out. But again, like Ivan Tony said about the leak from the FA is quite an interesting comment. It's true. Why is that being leaked yeah. out like that? And um, it should be dealt with behind closed doors. But like you said, Ian, I'm going to leave it at this. It's a serious problem. And like JJ said, it's not just the Premier League. It happens in all the leagues. I've been at a club where gangsters turned up for money that was owed by professional football players. And I'm talking serious big bets and gangsters turned up. I'm just going to leave that story there. I've got a lot of stories, but it's the After Dark episode. But it's... I'll, I'll tell <laughs> it's you a story. Serious. I'll tell you a story before I go. I'll leave this one. We're almost at 50 minutes. So I've got some time. It's a 50-minute show today. So I remember playing, I won't mention which club, but I remember playing for one of the clubs in Europe. I was playing in Germany. And at the end of the day, um, we were finishing training and a van turned up. All these lads jumped out, baseball bats, balaclavas and all that. And, you know, listen, I like a fight. But when I see people turning up with weapons, I'm probably the quickest one out of there. And it came to be that one of our players, striker, apparently, and this is true, True story. And maybe if you go find about everybody out there, I can tell you in the After Dark show at some point. One of our strikers took 100,000 euros to give away a game, to basically concede a penalty kick, lose the game. Wow. He took the money, didn't give away the penalty kick, and then just proceeded as if nothing was actually happening. And then all of a sudden, these lads turned up, under grand he ran away with in, uh, in a duffel bag. And, and the reason why it happened, and this is many of the reasons why I think a lot of lower league, if you go down League 1 and League 2, what actually happens is 
they don't earn enough money. They have a lot of free time. They're looking to make more money and they think they know more. So they're going to try and uh, seize upon an opportunity if it's been provided to them. And that's what happened to our striker that time who didn't last much longer at the football club after that incident. And um, yeah, it's crazy. I've got another one for you as well, but I'll tell you another time. After that, the fans have to listen. People have to listen and come back in. For the next next, next show, tell you tell another story. All right, I'll tell you real quickly. He, uh, he leased a, a BMW, went over to the Netherlands from Germany, sold the BMW, and then came back. He sold he sold a leased car in the Netherlands. <laughs> came back. And like it acted as if nothing happened. And all of a sudden, you know, you get these lawyers turning up at the training ground <laughs> looking for the car. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you stories stories all day long. Some of the great stories, right, at the end of the day. But listen, it's been a great show, boys. I appreciate both of you. I'm sorry I've kept you to almost 15 minutes. Let's give you another another Quickly, before we go, while we talk about that, we just say quickly about the Lionel Lionel Messi incident with the the gangsters threatening. JJ, you got anything to add to that? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you laughing? I mean, I I don't necessarily have that much to add to it, but if you're Messi... And you're sort of looking at where you want to play out the next, cu- the final few years of your career. You're certainly not looking close to home in Argentina with, uh, you know, with with that kind of situation. I mean, if I understood correctly from uh, a cursory glance at the the story earlier, uh, it's something related to to Messi's in-laws. Uh, yep. You know, something about weapons being brandished, like a message being left, like near near their house or something they like that. A, I think they're in a supermarket. They're in a supermarket. And some uh, heavies came over there, shot through the window, I mean, be, left a little you'd be, note. You'd be shitting it if that happened in Tesco's, right, Nudge? Yeah, really fool. Are you, are you not yeah. a Tesco? Are you not uh, a Tesco man? You're a Waitrose I guy. Oh, Waitrose. I was a Waitrose guy. Anyway, oh. um, I think it, it's a difficult one, JJ. Though, because I think sometimes people forget that, especially how the world has changed now. Because you do get footballers who come from rough backgrounds, who come from those type of environments, and they've got people like that around them you know you look at Benzema people see Benzema as this holy great guy but he does come from a really bad background and he's got some of those people still around him so for Lionel Messi it's a difficult one because he left Argentina so young yes he's still Lionel Messi I'm sure there'll be other people there but when you get involved into these type of situations which just rolls on from our conversation it's not nice it's not pretty and the reality of it is to the world you might be this world famous superstar but to some of these people who are coming after you, that does not matter to them. They're not bothered about who you are, whatever it is, because of their circumstances. It's not nice. You know, it's not nice for Messi yeah. to, to have to go through that and his family and stuff like that. And it does make you worry about security and other things. I think we all have a Begbie as a former friend or someone who's a little bit crazy in the head as a former friend or as a current friend. Friend or in the family, friend or in the family, mate. <laughs> all i would say is uh try not to get on my bad side i'll leave it at that one uh everybody we're back again on monday at 9 a.m eastern with a preview of next week's champions league games can't wait for it what a great week we've got to look forward to we'll be busy 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 next week but we thank everybody for following us this past week uh make sure you like subscribe make sure you leave comments make sure you leave us a rating and a review if you possibly can and to everybody out there who's been listening to how's the champions we thank you please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform we're available on apple podcast spotify stitcher and anywhere else you listen to your podcast also available as video so subscribe to us on youtube 51 minutes not bad see you next time
was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.